0: Second Timothy, and um, this, is the, this is the third, even though in, in our Bible it's in order of the second of the pastoral epistles, but it's the third chronologically. This is the last epistle that Paul writes just before his death. Uh, he wrote 1 Timothy, and then he wrote Titus, and then he writes 2 Timothy as far as chronology. In our Bibles, they put them together for sake of organization, as First and Second Timothy, and then Titus. Um, but this is Paul's final letter uh, that he writes before he dies, written sometime around the fall of 67 A.D. Uh, during his second uh, imprisonment in Rome, Paul traveled back to uh, Rome in 66 A.D. Uh, to against uh, some people didn't even want him to go back there, but uh, what had taken place, the first time he was in prison in Rome, they had him under house arrest. It was kind of a loose-knit arrest. He could kind of come and go a little bit uh, under supervision. He could have people come and visit him, um, uh, limited. But it was not, a, not a, uh, a full imprisonment where he's like thrown in a, a jail cell or a dungeon. But between the first uh, imprisonment that he had and this imprisonment that he had, uh, Nero has uh, come and burned Rome and blamed the Christians for it and caused widespread uh, persecution of Christianity as a whole and even passed some Roman laws that supported uh, a much more stringent uh, cracking down on those that would propagate the Christian faith, those that would preach the Christian faith. So when Paul came back to Rome uh, and was arrested this time, he was thrown into a Roman um, uh, cell. He was not allowed to be under the house arrest that he was in before. And, um, and he knows that his time is near. Uh, God seems to always give that indication to some of these folks in Scripture that write about that and say, my time is near. <coughs> it seems like the Lord just helps them to understand that that is the case. So this is kind of the setting uh, that we find him in. Timothy now has been ministering and serving in Ephesus for a few years. <coughs> Excuse me. And Ephesus has been a very difficult ministry. There's an awful lot of persecution in Ephesus. And there is a lot of doctrinal error uh, in Ephesus that that Timothy has to combat. And we studied last week uh, in 1 Timothy that this was one of the purposes that Paul wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy. Was to uh, help encourage him to be steadfast um, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the false teachers that were there. This letter is along the same lines. It's very similar to that in the fact that he's exhorting, he's encouraging Timothy to be steadfast in the faith and to rest in the power of the gospel. That there were going to be false teachers that were going to come against him and that were already coming against him. And that he needed to persevere. He needed to be steadfast in these things and to hold to the sound doctrine. And uh, so there are several things here that, that he deals with. The book can pretty much be divided into two sections. There's four chapters here. So the first two uh, chapters um, are dealing with uh, perseverance during the present trials and testings that are coming his way, the persecution that he's per- currently going through. The second half of the book, Paul addresses future things that will come. And again, teaching uh, and charging and, and encouraging Timothy to be faithful in the future testing and persecutions. <clears throat> that will come. Um, Paul, again, is the author of this book. We need no other reason than chapter 1 and verse number 1 of 2 Timothy where he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. So he claims authorship. And that's really all we need uh, to support this. Timothy, I didn't give you a whole lot of background last week, but I'll give you just a brief oversight of Timothy. Timothy <coughs> Excuse me. was brought to Christ during Paul's first missionary journey when he went to Lystra. And he met Timothy there, and Timothy came uh, to know Christ and to follow him uh, in salvation. And uh, Paul, Paul refers to Timothy more than any other individual in his writings. He has a great fondness for Timothy. He calls him his son in the faith. And um, the idea that, that he was mentoring and kind of investing himself in Timothy. Uh, Timothy had a Greek father. He had Jewish mother and grandmother, and they taught him, his mother and grandmother taught him in the scriptures. And uh, he was given a wonderful gift there. and Paul charges Timothy to stir up that gift that was in him, uh, that uh, began in his mother his, uh, mother Eunice or his grandmother and his mother, and that he was to continue, in that thing that they had put in him, which was the, the understanding of Scriptures. And uh, so Paul is, is really strong in teaching Timothy and, and charging Timothy about purity of doctrine. And in Second Timothy specifically, he continuously beats this drum of the idea that everything he, he does to combat uh, false teaching, everything he does to endure persecution must have its foundation on the Holy Scriptures, that, that he is to constantly go back to it. it is his defense against persecution. It is his stability to be steadfast in times of persecution. And it is the only authority that he has to be able to combat and to uh, oppose these false teachers and false doctrine that were coming in. So uh, he begins by telling him to stand firm in the power of the gospel. In chapter number one, he uh, salutes him and begins to... Encouraging him in verse number 5, he says, "...when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner." But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And he says, Timothy, there's, there's afflictions there. I know you're struggling. You need, to, you need to be strong in this thing. Because there is a power that God brings uh, that He allows us to rest in, to be able to accomplish the work in, that comes from holding fast to this sound doctrine, holding fast to the power of the gospel. And so he encourages him in these things. Um, He speaks a little bit about a a fellow by the name of Onesiphorus. Uh, This is the pronunciation, the spelling they give in 2 Timothy. It's the same fellow that uh, was the subject of the book of Philemon, Onesimus. Uh, Onesimus was a slave that Paul met while in Rome and had led him to the Lord and then sent him back to his master. Onesimus had run away from Philemon and uh, had to the penalty for that uh, was death if you ran away from your master as a slave you could be put to death for it paul writes a letter to philemon explaining that onesimus had been saved and that he was now profitable to him as a brother in christ and to receive him as if it was the apostle paul himself and charges philemon not to judge him as a runaway slave but to judge him as a fellow brother in christ and wonderful book if you have never read philemon it's a great great letter that paul writes uh, regarding this and the, the grace that is extended because of their common faith and the idea that they were brothers in Christ now and no longer, uh, even though there was still the master-slave relationship as far as the civil side of things, spiritually they were brothers in Christ and were to be treated such. And so uh, Paul talks a little bit about this down in verse number 16 of chapter 1. Uh, as he... Um, Uh, Charges Timothy to be uh, holding fast. In verse 13 says, Hold fast the form of sound doctrine which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. And uh, then he talks about those that have turned away from him. Again, you need to keep in mind uh, the difference between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, uh, Paul was not under this type of imprisonment. By the time he gets to this part, of his life and ministry, Uh, he is in a Roman cell. There's great opposition against the Christians, great persecution of the Christians, many of them being put to martyrs' deaths. As a result of that, many, many, in fact most, I would say, of the Christians that were in Rome, the Asian Christians that were in that region, forsook Paul. Paul speaks of that here. Uh, and he says in verse number 15, "...this thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, uh, of whom are uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes. Uh, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. So Paul uses this as an illustration for Timothy. He's just charging. He says, listen, you need to be true to sound doctrine. You need to stir up the gift that was in your uh, grandmother and your mother. Uh, and then he, he uses, he says, you know, all of these folks here in Asia, these Christians in Asia have forsaken me. But he says, there's one young man by the name of Onesiphorus, and he hath oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. And he's using this as a way to encourage Timothy that, hey, you're not the only one that's going through persecution and is trying to remain steadfast. And so he, he I believe, uses this example of Onesiphorus to charge Timothy. And that that brings me to a principle that I think you and I need to be aware of, and that is this. We never live unto ourself and we never die unto ourselves. Everything that we do, our actions, will always affect someone else. Always. And sometimes we say, Well, it doesn't matter, it's my life, I can live it how I want to. That's a true statement. You can. God's given us free will, He's given us liberty. But understand this, that all of our actions, everything that we do, will affect someone. They see us. And Anesimus here is used as an illustration to encourage Timothy. What if Onesiphorus had had forsaken Paul? Would there have been a life that Paul could have pointed to to Timothy and say, you need to be faithful like this young man was? There would be no example to, to point to. Very important. I'm sure that in as Force, as a slave, a runaway slave, I'm sure that he more than likely thought his life didn't really mount to much. Not too many people were affected by his life. And yet, Paul uses him as an example of steadfastness and unwavering in the face of persecution to encourage Timothy to be steadfast in these things. He talks a little further about him in verse 17. He says, But when he was in Rome, He sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Now, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. I want to look at verse 2 for a moment. Uh, he first charges Timothy to be steadfast in the gospel, to steadfast in the strength of the Lord in these things. In verse number two, he teaches Timothy, he says, you need to also not just be steadfast and teach these things, but he says you need to focus and make it a point of your ministry to reproduce the things that you have found in me, the things that I have been able to teach you, the things that I have instilled in you. You need to re- reproduce those in others. And there are four generations that are of faithfulness and right doctrine that are given in verse number 2. Let's look at it very quickly. The Bible says, "In the things which thou hast heard of me..." So first of all, there was the Apostle Paul. Paul was steadfast. He was sound in doctrine. And he took what he believed and what he held as, as a strong doctrine and, and sound doctrine, and he instilled it, he discipled, he mentored Timothy in these things. And that's the second uh, generation. So we have from Paul who was solid in his faith, to Timothy, who now is solid in his doctrine and his faith. And he tells Timothy, he says, "...the same commit thou to faithful men." There's your third generation. He said, I want you to take the things that I have taught you, and I want you to teach someone else. And notice, not only does he say that he should commit those things to faithful men, but he says this, "...who shall be able to teach what? Others also." There's the fourth generation. So you have the Apostle Paul teaching Timothy to teach faithful men... To teach others. Can I tell you, this is the the handbook, if you will. This is the the Christian manual of serving the Lord. The things that God has given us, the gospel message, the truth of doctrine, we are to uh, reproduce in the lives of others. I was in a a conference a number of years ago uh, out in Texas, and it was on... Uh, soul winning and and leading people to Christ and the whole emphasis of the week was on soul winning. There was a a missionary that was there, a very well-known missionary among our group of people and was well-known because he had um, thousands of people that uh, in his ministry over the years that he had uh, said that had made a public profession of faith in Christ, that had trusted Christ as their Savior. And I mean, we're not talking about a handful, we're talking about probably tens of thousands throughout his ministry that had said we've trusted Christ as our Savior. And he was invited to speak at this conference. I remember sitting there, there was a, uh, several thousand young men in this auditorium, and most of them were preachers or assistant pastors, uh, maybe bus workers, people from churches that were there uh, to be getting some training and some help from this uh, conference. And uh, most of them were young men. They, there wasn't a lot of gray hair in that room. Uh, there were some older fellows, but most of them were young men. And this this well-seasoned missionary, he'd been on the field, I think at that point, probably about 20 or 25 years. Well-seasoned missionary. He got up in the the, the, the uh, service, and he started preaching on soul winning and telling people about Christ. And, of course, there were a lot of amens, and, and people were shouting and excited about what uh, the Lord was doing in their life. And then he made a statement, and I, I sat there and I just, I, I cringed when I heard it. He made this statement. He said, Nowhere in Scripture are we ever taught that we are to disciple our converts. And I thought, wow. Where in the world did he come up with this? Because not only do we find that the Lord in the Great Commission tells them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. But we also find that throughout Scripture, Paul especially, speaks of the importance of instilling in others sound doctrine. You don't just win someone to Christ, share the gospel with them, see them trust Christ as their Savior, and then shake their hands and say, have a great Christian life now, we'll see you later. You you embrace them and you say, now that you've gotten saved and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, let's sit down, let's study God's Word together and let's learn some things about this Christian life. Let's get them involved in a church that will teach sound doctrine through the Sunday school lessons and through the church services. And I sat there, and it was amazing to me in that conference how many of those young men started to amen and shout and raise their hands and say, that's right, preacher. And I thought, how many of these young men are going to go out around the world and begin to share the gospel with people and maybe see them make a professional faith in Christ and say, I've trusted Christ as my Savior and then walk away from them, and they know nothing of doctrine. Paul tells Timothy, he says, the same commit thou to faithful men. Those things that I've taught you, those things that I have spent years stirring up inside of you and guiding you in, commit those to faithful men. And make sure those faithful men know they're supposed to do that with others also. I think one of the greatest patterns for Christian service is 2 Timothy 2.2. These things that thou hast, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. He warns Timothy shortly after that about the uh, entanglement, of false doctrine, false teachers, getting involved in frivolous quarrels, following after the lust of the flesh. He talks about those uh, in verses 4 and following of chapter 2. He says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him, hath chosen him to be a soldier. He talks about the fact that, um, verse number 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, It is a faithful saying, verse number 11, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not yet, he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of hearers. Don't 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 sit here and just talk nonsense and sit here and debate. You may have differences of doctrine. Don't sit there in in, in, a, in a cup of coffee between you on a table, and sit and argue back and forth about the doctrine. You know what Paul's solution was for that? Look in the next verse. Study. You want to know what the right doctrine is? You're not going to get it from another brother in Christ. That's not the authority of that doctrine. When there's a contention, when, there, when there's questions that are, that are striving, and you're striving about them, and to no profit because there is no resolution from that, what's the answer? Study. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Within the context of that verse, what are we to be studying? The word of truth. This book. There's a contention between two people on an issue of doctrine. It's not a matter to sit down at a table and hash it out between yourselves. Both of you come together and agree. Let's come to God's Word and see what it says. Because it is the authority for the doctrine. Over and over throughout this book, Paul points Timothy back to the doctrine. When there's false teachers, hold to the doctrine. When there's persecution, hold to the doctrine. Make the Word of God your foundation, your sure defense, your sure um, uh, the thing that makes you unshakable in the Christian life. Hold to the Word of God. Uh, he tells them to shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. He talks about those that spread false doctrine. Their word will eat as doth the canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is already passed, <clears throat> and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. And let every name, everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, he talks about those that are vessels of honor and those that are vessels of dishonor. And uh, we may be uh, speaking a little bit more to that in the next hour. And so uh, we'll, we'll delve a little more deeply into perhaps that truth uh, uh, next week or next hour. Um, But I want you to notice this. He also tells him to flee youthful lust in verse number 22. He says, flee also youthful lust, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call the Lord out of a pure heart. So he tells Timothy, he says, uh, be careful of being entangled with the affairs of this life. There's going to be people out there that are going to teach you false doctrine. They're going to try to teach false doctrine. They're going to try to entangle you in some frivolous quarrels to no profit. Uh, They're going to try to entice you with the lusts of the flesh. And any of those things that we allow to encumber us in life will diminish our effectiveness of ministry. If we get wrapped up in false teaching, if we get wrapped up in in bothersome quarrels, uh, I'm not opposed to defending the gospel. But we've got to get out of this mindset that we need to debate by way of reason and logic, people. We've got to just state what the Bible says. We've got to stand on it and put it out there. If they choose not to believe it, the truth still stands true. God is still faithful. His truth is still there. And He cannot deny Himself. Uh, but He tells them uh, that these you need to avoid these things, be careful of these things. He warns them against them because they will hinder your ministry, they'll hinder your work. But he does tell them, in verse number uh, uh, verse number uh, twenty two, he says, "But follow after." He says, "Not follow." He says, "But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call the Lord out of a pure heart. Foolish and unlearned questions. Avoid knowing that they do gender strife. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves." If peradventure, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the what? Truth. So we follow after these things and we pursue these things because it gives men a chance to embrace and to hold truth. People have asked me a number of times, what do we do when we're debating or talking to somebody who says, I don't believe the Bible? I don't believe it's the Word of God. I don't believe it's true. How do I, how do I deal with that? Give them the Bible give them Scripture. We hold fast to those things. We need to to come to this understanding. Our logic and our reasoning, at best, at its best, is flawed. At its worst, it's depraved. And it has no ground and no substance of foundation for the biblical truth that we hold to You don't tell somebody a doctrine is true because this is how you see it. It's it's not going to be enough. We must come back to the Bible says it. That's got to be our foundation. So he tells Timothy this. He charges him this in the first half of the book. So he he wraps up uh, chapter number two uh, with, again, kind of exhorting Timothy, saying, listen, I know you're going through a lot. There's a lot of persecution taking place. There's these people that are... Try to teach these things. Be strong. Stand fast. The answer is study the Word of God. Have it, have it there. Be, a, be a, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Uh, make sure that you are uh, that you are steadfast in sound doctrine. It's the way to give you strength in adversity. It is also the way to combat false teaching. And that is your answer to it. That is your source to it. And then chapters 3 and 4. He kind of switches gears from the things that are happening now in Timothy's life to it's it's going to be it's going to be coming down the road too. In fact, it may even be getting worse. And Paul alludes to this a little bit to Timothy. And what do you do in these things that are in the future? <clears throat> so he teaches he teaches Timothy in verses one through nine of chapter three that there is coming a time where men are going to more and more as the days go by, they're going to more and more embrace two things. They're going to embrace empty religious practices, and they're going to embrace false teaching. These two things are going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. And he talks about this in, um, in the beginning part of chapter 3. If you'll look with me in verse 5, he says this, "...having a form of godliness..." But denying the power thereof from such turn away, for of these, uh, of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sin, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning, now notice this, and never, what's the next word here? Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're embracing empty religious practices, They're embracing false teaching and they're studying this stuff and they think that they're growing in the spiritual life. But as long as they're pursuing those things, they are not able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also... Now, notice this phrase. Resist the what? Verse number 8. So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith... But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. These men that are following after after this vain religion, these outward religious practices, these false teachers, they refuse to hear truth? You say, Brother Greg, is that happening today? Sure, take a look around. Take a minute to look at Joel Osteen's church today at how many tens of thousands of people are going to be following after it. And then look at Keitha Heights Baptist Church. There's a big difference, isn't there? Some people equate numbers and the growth of a church as far as numerically as God's indication of they're doing this right and this is the measure of success. You know, my Bible over and over again teaches me in, in many ways <clears throat> that narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. In Scripture, the Bible tells us that Jesus told His disciples, the world hath hated me, they're going to hate you too. If you stand for the truth, now we're not, we're not out to try to be uh, 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 abrasive. We're not out to try to cause people to be offended. But we are going to stand hard on truth. And when you do that, there are a lot of people who do not like that. They're going to want to go to a church that will help their ears hear what they want to hear. So that when they leave, they feel good about their sinful life that they're living. They feel good about themselves. There's never conviction. There's never the idea that, boy, I need to get some things right in my life so that I can be more pleasing to the Lord. And and, and, and it And... Paul is telling Timothy this. He says, listen, there's going to be these people they are going to increase more and more. They're going to follow after these false things, and they're they're going to reject, resist the truth. They're not going to want those things. So what do you do, Timothy, when that happens? Do you just throw your hands up and say, well, we might as well shut the doors. Nobody really wants this stuff. No, no. Look what Paul tells him. Verse 10, he says, "...but thou hast fully known my doctrine..." Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch. Now notice this. All those things came to him at Antioch, but notice what else he says. At Iconium? At Lystra? In other words, it didn't, Paul didn't, at Antioch, if those things had happened to most most Christians that are living today, they would have, they would have said, you know what, I'm going home. But he, he kept on going, didn't he? From Antioch, he goes to Iconia, Iconium, and it happened there too. And as if that wasn't bad enough, he goes on to Lystra, and it happens there too. Now notice what he says. What persecutions I what? Endured. Endured. I didn't throw my hands up and quit after the first time it happened. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall have a wonderful life with no problems. Is that what your King James Bible says? No, what does it tell us? Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. It's not what I signed up for. Shall suffer persecution. Do we enjoy the suffering? No. Do we rejoice in suffering? Absolutely. Because I understand that the sufferings of this present world are not even worthy to be compared to the joy that God has set before Him. The idea that we are counted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. Is it pleasant? No. Do we rejoice in it? Yes. We can be steadfast in this time of persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And he tells Timothy flat out, he says, you think you got it bad now? They're going to wax worse and worse. It's going to get worse from here on out. This isn't quite the pep talk that you want to hear the coach tell you when you're in the when you're in the locker room and you're down, and him say you're going to go out there and tell you what, fellas, it's going to get worse. <laughs> but notice what Paul says here. He says, these evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and be assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, But from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee, what? Wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Again, he's bringing it all back to Scripture, isn't he? He's bringing it all back to the Gospel message. These men and these seducers that are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, he says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Then he goes on to establish Scripture as he says, All Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. It is God-breathed, Timothy. Hold to it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore before God... And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the Word. That's the answer. The answer is not in Washington, D.C.'s legislation. The answer is not in trying to get out here and become more involved in the civil things of our society. The answer is in preaching the Word. Preaching the Word. Be instant in season, out of season, and reprove. Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and what? Doctrine. There it is again. Timothy, steadfast. Stay on the firm foundation of God's Word. It is the authority. It will cause you to be steadfast. It will give you that strength. It will give you that resolve. It will cause you to, to get to the place where you can continue in the face of persecution. And it will also combat those that will teach false doctrine. Preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. He talks about not. there's going to come a time where they are not going to endure that sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. What do we do in that time? Look with me. He says, and they shall turn their ears from the truth. Verse number 4, chapter 4. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Is that time to quit? Do we kind of see a revolving theme here? Timothy, things are going to get worse, but but keep on. There's going to be times where this is going to happen, but keep on. There's going to be times that this is going to happen, but keep on. Now notice what he says. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables, but watch thou in all things. Here's that word again. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. And then Paul tells Timothy, listen, I have fought a good fight. So I know I've reached the end of my road. I've done this. I've been an example to you. I'm charging you. Do the same thing. And he makes this statement. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. Timothy, this is going to happen. Preach the Word. False teachers are going to come. Timothy, be sound in doctrine. There's going to be times where people are going to come against you. Commit the things that you've learned to faithful men who will teach others also. Stay at it. Stay at it. Keep going. Keep going. Sound doctrine. God's Word. The, the power of the Gospel. Timothy, don't forsake it. This will happen. This will happen. Stay true. Stay, stay steadfast. Stay firm. And then Paul says, I've done it in my life. Because I've done it in my life, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Not just for me, Timothy, but for everyone that will do that. And all that love His appearing, there's a righteousness, a crown of righteousness that's laid up for them as well. He then tells Timothy, he says, do your diligence to come to me. He wanted him to come before wintertime, got there and to see him. Closes out the letter, again, with just some final charges. Talking about those that had forsaken him and those that had been faithful. His charge to Timothy is, Timothy, I've invested all this time in you probably more than any other person that is a fellow laborer of mine. Timothy, be strong. Be steadfast. Hold fast to sound doctrine." Hold to the fact that the scriptures are given by inspiration of God and they are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I have finished my course. I have run my race. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Timothy, you do the same thing. What a charge. What a charge. And I would say this, that even though this book is written as a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, can I tell you that every word in this book can be applied to our lives today. Every word of it. We're living in times where, to be real frank with you, because we have been given such liberty, we don't know what it is to stand fast. We've gotten to the point where when a little bit of opposition comes, we've grown so weak that we just bend with it. You know, some of the strongest trees that I have found down in South Florida are the trees that have endured the hurricanes. The ones that haven't had to go through those things seem to be the weakest. Their roots aren't quite as deep. Their stalks aren't quite as thick. It's amazing to me how oftentimes we fail in the face of adversity. We give up when the slightest little difficulty comes our way. And we never grow to be a strong tree. We never grow to be a strong, steadfast Christian in the things of the Lord. Paul told Timothy, he says, listen, it's not going to to be fun. It's not going to be a piece of cake. And if you think it's bad now, hang on. It's going to get worse. But keep, keep going, Timothy. Be strong. Hold the sound doctrine. Preach the Word. Make sure that you're steadfast to the end. The Christ of Timothy, uh, Paul refers to Christ as appearing on earth, abolishing death, bringing life and immortality through the Gospel. He does this in chapter 1, verse number 10 chapter 2 and verse number 8, he refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as He that had risen from the dead. In chapter 2 and verse 10, he refers to Him as one that provides salvation and eternal glory. In chapter 2 and verse 11, he refers to the fact that Christians who are dead with Christ will also live with Christ. And what a great truth there is in that, dying to ourself and living unto Christ. And then chapter 4 and verse number 8, he talks about all those that love Jesus appearing will receive a crown of righteousness. And in chapter 2 and verse number 12, He talks about those that will reign with Him. And again, Christ is pictured throughout Second uh, Timothy and is the, the motivating factor, I believe. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ is our motivating factor. To be like Jesus, uh, to follow His example, to do the things that please Him, that is our motivation. The theme of the book is endurance in ministry. The key verses are chapters 2, verses 3 and 4. Let's take a moment to read those. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that worth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And then uh, chapter 3, verse number 14. Chapter 3, verse number 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And then the key chapter is chapter 2, and uh, that concludes our study of the book of 2 Timothy. I hope that's been a help to you, and certainly things that we can apply in our day, uh, the day that we live in, Uh, but also helps, I hope it helps to give us a better understanding of the things that Paul has written to Timothy, knowing a little bit of the background, what they were going through, where Paul was in his ministry, where Timothy was in his ministry, the things that were going on during that day. It kind of helps give some weight and understanding and some insight into some of the principles that Paul teaches Timothy in this letter. So I hope that will be a help to you. Let's go ahead and stand together. We'll be dismissed. We're a few minutes behind on Sunday school, so we'll start probably at about 11.05 or so.